Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, good morning. How is everybody doing? I'm privileged to, to be able to be here to bring God's word to you. And as Byron said, over the next few weeks, we're going to be walking through Romans chapter 8. And I believe that God is going to teach all of us some very valuable lessons about the gospel of Jesus as we look at the book of Romans. But why Romans? Why Romans and why Romans chapter 8? You see, Byron had originally thought about allowing Ethan and and Andy and myself to teach over our, our favorite Bible verse or maybe pick our favorite topic. And that's what we were going to bring to you on, on Sunday. But instead, we chose the book of Romans. So why did, we, why did we do that? Well, Byron gave a couple of great reasons as to why we chose the book of Romans. And there's some other reasons as well. You know, Romans is considered by many to be the most profound book in all of scriptures. It's been called the door and the key to the scriptures that without it, you could never have a proper understanding of scripture. It's been referred to as a light that shines before the dull and ignorant to teach them. That's us. (laughs) To enlighten them and to give them correct understanding. It has even been referred to as an herbal bath. Paul's letter to the church in Rome set the course for the Protestant Reformation as Martin Luther read the book of Romans and came to his understanding of justification by faith alone. You see, the church would look much different today if it was not for that pivotal moment in the history of Christianity. But we know that from 2 Timothy 3.16 that all of Scripture is profitable, right? All of Scripture is God-breathed, all of it is God's Word, and therefore it's all equally valuable, it's all equally authoritative in the life of the believer, but even still, God's Word to the Christians in Rome seems to have this tangible weight to it when you read it. And you see, chapter 8 is considered by many to be one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, J. Gresham Machen is a professor of New Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, says this, that without the eighth chapter of Romans, the mere story of the earthly life of Jesus would be remote and dead. For it is through the eighth chapter of Romans that Jesus becomes our savior today. Another theologian says that if the Bible were a ring and the book of Romans the jewel in the center, then chapter eight would be the sparkling point of that jewel. Another commentator says that Romans is the highest point in the Bible, and Romans chapter 8, the highest point in the book of Romans. So basically, here we have the greatest section of the greatest letter in the greatest book ever written, and I can't help but think to myself, why on earth would Byron let Ethan, Andy, and myself lead our church through this series? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. I know that he trusts us, and I'm grateful for that, but I'm even more grateful that Byron trusts the word of God to do what the word of God does. And that is that it goes out, it goes forth, and it does not return void. So whether Byron preaches it or I preach it or Andy or Ethan preaches it, God's word is going to go out. It's going to be implanted in the hearts of the people here at Redemption and is gonna give birth to fruit in our lives. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans and then you can turn to Romans chapter eight and we're gonna be looking at verses one 
through 11. So Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. So there are many different ways that a person can choose to live their life. I don't think this is a very shocking statement to anyone. There are a variety of ways that a person can choose to live their life. There are different rules, different values, different attitudes, different beliefs that guide or direct a person's life. We all approach our lives with a particular mindset, with a particular way of viewing the world, and we all live accordingly to whatever those rules, values, attitudes, and beliefs are. And for Christians, this is, this is no different. We also live a certain kind of life that's based on certain rules and values, attitudes, and, and beliefs. But for Paul, according to God, there's really only two ways that a person can live their lives. So we might have this variety of ways that we think that we can live our lives, maybe different philosophies or religious ideologies that we hold to, but it all comes down to really just two And he says that these two ways of life are governed or ruled by two laws, two powers, two forces that are at work in the world. And each of these two ways of living, these ways of viewing the world, they look very different and they lead to very different outcomes. So what are they? Well, there's there's two. There's the law of the spirit. That's number one. And number two, the law of sin and death. So you either live your life according to the spirit the law of the spirit, or you live your life according to the flesh, which is under the power of the law of sin and death. You either set your mind on, pursue after, invest in the things of the spirit, or you set your mind on, pursue after, invest in the things of the flesh. If you live according to the spirit, Paul says it leads to life and to peace. And if you live according to the flesh, it leads to death. And so today I want to show you the benefits, the blessings that come from living life in the spirit, the benefits and blessings that have been given to the Christian that we have gained access to on account of the work of God in Christ. And I want to show you how they are far greater, far more valuable than anything that the flesh, that this law of sin and death has to offer you. So if you are a Christian, then today's an opportunity for you to be encouraged by seeing the kind of assurance, the kind of peace that you have through life in the spirit. And if you are not a Christian, then my hope today is that you will see that there is a better way to live that is pleasing to God and thereby make the decision to step out of your old way of living and into a new one. So that's my prayer for us today. If you're a Christian, be encouraged. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you see a better way to live. So Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We'll read it together, and then we'll walk through it. So starting in chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, 
for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's Romans chapter eight, verses one through 11. So there's three things that I want you to see this morning. There's three marks, three characteristics of life in the spirit. The life in the spirit is characterized by freedom, freedom from condemnation, freedom from sin. It's characterized by a certain mindset, a certain way of thinking, and then it's characterized or marked by a hope in the future. So a life in the spirit, it's, there's freedom there, there's a certain way of thinking, of living life in the spirit, and there's a hope that you have when you live life in the spirit. So those are the big ideas, the three things I really want us to focus in on and see this morning. So the first thing that we see about the spirit, about life in the spirit is this, it is characterized by freedom. In two ways, freedom from condemnation and freedom from the rule and the power and the authority of sin in your life. So let's look at these one at a time. So first, life in the spirit characterized by freedom from condemnation. Paul says this in verse one, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So up to this point, Paul has explained in the beginning of Romans chapters one through seven that the unrighteousness of humanity because of our sin and our rebellion against God, that we are condemned. That in Adam, Adam sinned because of his sin, because of our own sin, that we stand condemned before God. And condemned is a, it's a legal term. It basically means that there's a, there's a debt that is owed or a penalty to be paid by this person who is condemned. So there's, there's nothing in us that merits God's favor. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to be saved. And further, even the law was incapable of, of saving us, as we'll see here in just a moment. But back in chapter 5, Paul says something in verses 18 and 19. He says that, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so that's us, that's all of us condemned because of this one trespass, so also one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So we've sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God, Paul says, and we're condemned, but... Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life, he dies the death that we deserve on the cross for our sin in our place, is resurrected to new life and by faith in him and what he accomplished on the cross, we receive the uncredited, unmerited righteousness of God. And therefore in him, we are without condemnation. Therefore, 
There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. By our union with Christ, there's no judgment, there's no wrath. We are free from condemnation. So I want to pause just a moment and reflect on verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian here this morning, there is no condemnation for you. You are no longer condemned. You are no longer separated from God, but rather you have been found righteous in Christ. And this is good news. This is good news. So let me ask you a question. If there is no condemnation for you, why do you condemn yourself? We're just going to get right into it this morning. If there's no condemnation for you, then why do you condemn yourself? At the end of Romans chapter 8, Paul, he's going to address this issue more completely, but there's a word in verse 1 that compels me to ask you this question, and that word is now. Paul says that, therefore, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does now mean? Well, now means today. Now means right now. You are free from judgment. You are free in this moment from condemnation. So what is it that condemns you? Is it your past? Is it the way that you used to live and direct your life? Is it your friends or family that condemn you? Is it a sinking feeling that you get from not meeting the expectations that you've set for yourself or being the person that you feel like you ought to be? Is it sin that's in your life that you can't seem to put to death that condemns you? So let's be clear that sin in the life of the believer, it's no less revolting to God than it is in the life of someone who's, who's not a Christian. But as a Christian, your sin, your guilt, your shame was crucified with Christ. You are free. There's no guilt, no shame, no debt, no penalty, no need to work for God's love or his approval. There's just freedom. There's just freedom in Christ. So as we go through chapter eight of Romans, that's the banner, that's the flag that is going to fly triumphantly over this chapter, is that as a Christian, you are free from condemnation. As we'll see when we get to the end of Romans chapter eight, verse 39, not only are you no longer condemned, but you can no longer ever be separated from the love of God. It opens with a promise and it ends with a promise. There's no condemnation and there will be no separation. Romans chapter 8 is pretty good. This is a good chapter. Why did Byron let us preach it? So you're not only free from condemnation, freedom from condemnation, but also through the Holy Spirit, you are free from the law of sin and death, which is to say that you are free from the power or the rule of sin. So we're free from condemnation and we're free from the rule of sin. So There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So here are these two laws that we talked about earlier. You have the law of the spirit of life and you've been set free in Christ Jesus by the law of the spirit from the law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit sets you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And so it's important for us to understand here what Paul means when he says law. Right, he's not talking about God's law. He's not talking about the Mosaic Old Testament law, but rather he's, he's really using this word to mean like a force or a power. That's what I mentioned earlier about you know, there being two ways of life, one governed or ruled or under the power 
of the spirit and the other is governed or ruled or under the power of the law of sin and death. That's the flesh. So law here means power. So think of it when we say it as the power of the spirit of life, that in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been set free from the power of sin and death. Freedom. Not only have we been delivered from condemnation, from the judgment that came along with our sin, but we've also been delivered from the power of sin. And we see again here that it's not by our own might that we overcome this. We weren't able to overcome our own condemnation and we're not able to overcome our own sin, but rather it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not work to be done to fight our sin. Doesn't mean that there's not work for us to do to be killing our sin, but rather we're to work out our own salvation, Paul says in Philippians, but we work it out with fear and trembling because God is working in you for your sanctification. So we have work to do. We have to work. We need to be killing our sin, but the power that we have to do that, to put our sin to death, only comes through being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So through the Holy Spirit, we're able to do what we were previously unable to do, which is overcome the power of sin. And so we're we're free from condemnation. We're free from the power of sin. Our justification leads to our sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been saved for a reason. You've been called for a purpose. You've been saved justified so that you might be sanctified, that you'd become holy so that you would look more and more like Jesus every single day of your life until you die. Saved for a purpose. And all of this, Paul says, all of this that's taken place, our our justification, the law of the spirit freeing us from the law of sin and death, all of it was accomplished by Jesus on our behalf. There's more good news. That it was all accomplished by Jesus on our behalf. So let's look at verses three and four. It says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So God did something that the law, and here Paul is talking about the Old Testament law. Now now we're talking about the law, God's commands in the Old Testament. God has done something that the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So if you go back and you read Romans chapter seven, you see Paul describing this struggle that the Christian has between the flesh, and living a life of holiness. And he explains that the law, rather than condemning sin or getting rid of sin, rather it just brought out more sin in him. He said, had he not known what covetousness was, he wouldn't have coveted. But because of the law who taught him what covetousness was, well, then he began to covet, right? So the law, rather than actually taking care of our sin, in many ways, it made it much worse. And so God did something that the law, weakened by our flesh, our sinful flesh, couldn't do. And this is what he did. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the law was unable, it was incapable of freeing us from the power of sin and unable to rescue us from condemnation, unable to deliver us from death. The author of Hebrews says that the law was weak, unprofitable, unable to perfect anything. And so God intervened. He intervenes by sending Jesus to fulfill the demands 
of the law. So think about this. Christ, he enters into our humanity. He takes sinful flesh upon himself with all of its accompanying temptations, with all of the struggles, all the things that we walk through, that we deal with. Christ dealt with those things, but yet he did not sin and perfectly fulfills what the law of God required, which was righteousness. So now, because of that, because Jesus fulfilled this, we we are able to walk according to the Spirit and fulfill the law of God. So Christ comes, he fulfills the law for us in our place, gives us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and now we can fulfill the law of God. We can walk in obedience. Now, this doesn't mean completely or totally fulfill the law of God. That was accomplished by Jesus and only him. But now we are able to live a spirit-filled life that is obedient, that is pleasing to God. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that if you love God, you will keep his commandments. And he came so that we would be able to do just that. Look at what it says in in verse 4. It says that Jesus came in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So Jesus came to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in us. That requirement that needed to be met, we have now met it in Jesus. We've now met that righteous requirement of the law because Jesus, the spirit of Christ, is in us. And so when we're fighting our sin, like I mentioned a moment ago, when we're fighting our sin, when we're doing battle against our sin, we need to do it out of the understanding that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is what makes us righteous. It's not our fight, it's not our battle. It's our struggle against sin and our overcoming it that is going to make us righteous. We are already righteous and therefore we can overcome our sin. So we live differently in light of what Jesus has done. Listen, you can't work harder than Jesus worked to fight your sin. You can't do it. You can't outwork Jesus when it comes to fighting your sin. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can walk in obedience. So now we've seen that we have, we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life pleasing to God. And Paul's going to shift here a little bit. He's going to move. He's going to go on to describe the character or the marks of what a life in the spirit and what a life in the flesh look like. Or in other words, what does it look like for each of these persons to live each of these sort of lives? What does it look like for a life in the, in the spirit? And what does it look like for a life in the flesh? So let's start with, let's address first life in the spirit. And this life in the spirit is our, is our second characteristic or our mark, that a life in the spirit is characterized or marked by a certain mindset, that there's a certain way of, of thinking when you live life in the spirit that leads to life and it leads to peace. It says this, verses five through eight, that for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So there's one group of people, they live according to the flesh and they set their minds on the things of the flesh. And then we have another category of people who live according to the spirit and they set their minds on the things of the spirit. Paul's making an argument here. And he says to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So there's our two categories of people, our two persons. One, 
mindset on, on flesh, which leads to death, one a mindset on the spirit, which leads to life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It stands at enmity against God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's a bold statement from Paul. He says there's two types of people. There's Christians and there's those who are not Christians. And that's it. That's the only two categories of people that there are. And if you are not a Christian, that means that you are in the flesh. It means that you stand in hostility toward God. It means that you do not submit to his law. Indeed, you cannot and that you can't please God. It's a bold statement from Paul. So what does this look like? What does it look like to have a life in the spirit characterized by this mindset? Think of it like this. Whatever you set your mind to, whatever you pursue after, whatever you invest in is going to reveal your heart, right? Jesus says as much in in, in Matthew when he says that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on to say later in the same gospel that do you not yet realize that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then it is eliminated. But the things that come out of the mouth, they come from the heart. And these things defile a man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. So basically he's, he's saying that whatever you set your mind on, wherever you invest, that's your treasure and that's where your heart is. And out of your heart, You're going to live a certain way and there's going to be certain actions that characterize your life. So you can either live according to the flesh, which is characterized by a mindset on the flesh, or a life according to the spirit characterized by a mindset on the things of the spirit. And each of these ways of thinking lead to a certain end, one death, one life in peace. And here's what we need to know before we continue about a life in the spirit is that your mind is not neutral. Your mind is not neutral. The reformers, they called this the noetic effects of sin. That sin not only impacts our body, our flesh, but it also impacts our mind. It impacts our way of thinking. So there's three things here that I want you to see that are characterized in both of these, that you have a way of living, a way of thinking, and that you're led by something. So those in the spirit, you have a way of living, a way of thinking, and you're led by something. And it's the same for those who are in the flesh. Your mind is not neutral. It's either going to desire and long for the things of the spirit, or it's going to desire and long for the things of the flesh. And a mind set on the spirit leads to life and peace. So here's what Paul says to quote Colossians. He says that the mind of the Christian is set on things that are above. That the mind of a Christian is set on things that are above and that we are to put to death the deeds of the body because of this, which leads to life. So we have a certain way of thinking, right? Our mindset, we think about the things that are above, which leads to living, which is putting to death. That's going to lead to a way of living. Paul says that we've died to our old self. That's our mind. That's the old man. That's the old way that we used to live, that we've died to that, that we've been buried with Christ, that we too might walk in newness of life. So we've died to the old man, our old man, our old way of thinking, our old self is dead. And because of this way of thinking, it leads to a way of living, which is walking in newness of life. And he says this in Romans 14, in Galatians 5, 18, that to have a mindset on the things of the spirit is to be led by the spirit of God. So there's our three things. 
We have a mindset that we think about, we ponder the things of above, the things of the Lord. And because of that, we live differently. We put to death the deeds of the body and we're led by the spirit. That's what we are as Christians. We are led by. So we're led by the spirit of God, not to walk in fear, but to walk in assurance of our new status as children, verse 16, to have a hope for the future, verse 24, to have confidence that no one and no thing can condemn us or separate us from the love of God, verse 38 and 39. That's what characterizes a life in the spirit, a life of fearlessness, a life with no guilt, no shame, no worry, no anxiety. That's life in the spirit. And then Paul gives us this wonderful description in Galatians 5. I'm sure many of us are familiar with this passage, the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5:22 says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Somebody here can, they know what those are by heart. I know there's somebody here that does. And against such things, there is no law. For those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's, there's the putting to death the deeds of the body. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, or to put it another way, be led by the Spirit. So we have the certain way of thinking, then we see the character, the certain way of living, and we see what we're led by, that we're led by the Spirit. And again, these are characteristics of a life in the Spirit. It's a life of love, of joy, of peace, of forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That sounds like a great life. Right? That's life in the spirit. And so to live in accordance with the spirit is to produce the fruit of the spirit. All this leads to life, both physically and spiritually, because the spirit that regenerates us, the spirit that gives us new life, is the same spirit that is also going to resurrect us. And it leads to peace, because as now we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. So that's life in the spirit leads to life and it leads to peace. So what about a life according to the law of sin and death, a life in the flesh? Well, Paul gives in that same section of Galatians, he gives us a list of the things of the flesh. So he says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. So these things are battling, they're waging war against one another and the spirit contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes on to list some of these acts of the flesh. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It sounds very similar to what Paul says in Romans chapter eight, that those who live according to the flesh are hostile toward God and that they cannot please him. That's what it sounds like here, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. They cannot please him and therefore they do not belong to him. And Paul says in Colossians three, that on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's the way of living for a life in the flesh, a mindset on 
the flesh. That to live according to the flesh is to desire the things of flesh. And they're obvious, Paul says, meaning that they're, they're clearly seen in the life of the person, right? But we know that walking according to the flesh, that sin is not always so obvious, and that rather it's very insidious, that it's cunning, that the devil is crafty. So not all of our, our sin is so obvious, so tangible, so on the surface that we know it when we see it. There's also a way of thinking. So what does that look like? What does sin look like? What does life with a mindset on the flesh look like that's not so obvious? There's a few things. To have a mindset on the things the flesh looks like pursuing your own interests over God's interests, or in other words, being self-centered rather than God-centered. It's caring more about your own desires than about what God desires for your life, the desire to live under our own autonomy rather than God's authority. There's many people who are are not Christians and they pursue life out of God for a very specific reason. They pursue life outside of him because they have a desire for autonomy. That is that they want to be in, in total control of their own lives and live in complete freedom. And so they say, well, well, I look at Christianity and there's these rules and these laws and there's this God who wants to control everything and I'm the God of my own life. I'm the master of my, my own destiny. So I'm not gonna follow that because I'm autonomous. I can do whatever I want. I'm my own person. But here's the truth. You are not in control. All of your planning, all of your decisions, all of your thoughts, all of your desires are all influenced by and under the dominion and power of sin. Paul says in Romans 6 that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, then you are slaves of the one whom you obey. So if your mind is set on the things of the flesh, then you're not free, but actually you are a slave to those things. So you're not autonomous. This world, it rules over you and you are bound by it and you are obedient to it. In other words, you are led by it. You are led by it. So this law of of, of sin and death, living life with a mindset on the flesh, we have our way of living, we have our way of thinking, and there's something that leads us. And again, these these aren't sins that are, are, are so obvious, right? There's, there's a lot of things that we, that we pursue that we think of as, as neutral, but really what we're, what we're doing is we're just replacing the religion of Christianity with a religion of self-justification. We're taking Christianity and replacing it with something else that makes us feel like we're enough, that makes us feel like we have meaning, like we have purpose, and whatever that thing is, that's your religion, So it could be whatever philosophy it is that you follow. It could be your job. It could be staying busy. It could be dating. It could be family. It could be your children. It could be anything, anything that gives you that feeling like I'm good enough, that my life has purpose, my life has meaning because of that thing. That thing is what you worship. That thing is what you are a slave to. You are not autonomous. You are not free You are not the master of your own destiny. You are bound and ruled by, under the dominion of, a mindset on sin and whatever that thing is that you worship. But you're not free. 
We're looking to the world to provide us with salvation and we don't even realize it. And Paul says that the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. In fact, it cannot submit to God's law and therefore the person in the flesh cannot please God. Because think about this, no matter how good of a deed it is that you do, no matter what it is that you accomplish, it will all be done out of self-centeredness and out of disregard toward God. No matter how good, no matter how great these things are that you're doing for your world, for your friends, for your family, for the community, they're all done out of self-centeredness and out of hostility and disregard towards God. James 4 forces this, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The result, Paul says, is death, both, both physical, by living a life full of actions that lead to death and misery and sorrow, and spiritual because you do not belong to God and there is no life apart from the regenerating power of the Spirit of Christ. And the tragedy here, as I read this passage, the tragedy, which strikes me as I, as I read this, is that there's so many people pursuing the things of the flesh, pursuing the things of the world, looking and longing for life and peace, meanwhile cutting themselves off from the only place where everlasting life and peace are found. It's a tragedy. So let's look at the the third thing. This is the last thing that we will look at of a life in the spirit, what characterizes or marks a life in the spirit. And of course, there's more things, right? Like there's there's other things that characterize a life in the spirit. But these are just the three we're gonna look at today. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says that you, however, are not in the flesh. Praise God that you are not in the flesh anymore. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if the spirit of Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, then although the body is dead because of spin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What a beautiful reminder from Paul. You, however, are not in the flesh. And we have to remember as Christians, like we can't just, we can't look at everyone else in disdain for them and their way of life and how they live because we have to remember that it was not always this way for us. That at one point, at one time, we used to be under the power, under the rule, under the dominion of the flesh. But Paul says that we were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. So it wasn't always this way for us. But praise God that we're not in the flesh any longer. Amen? Amen. So life in the spirit is characterized by this. This is the last thing. It's characterized by a hope in the future, that the Christian life, the life in the spirit is characterized by hope. If the spirit of God dwells in you, you are no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. And he says that if anyone who's not in the spirit does not belong to God, if that's true, then the other side is also true, right? If, if anyone who is not in the spirit of God does not, or in the spirit does not belong to God, then that means anyone who is in the spirit does belong to God. 
Andy is going to get to preach on this next Sunday. I can't wait. He's going to look at what it means to be an heir with Christ, to be a son of God, to be adopted into the family of God. But for now, he says that if we have the Spirit, then we belong to him. 1 John 4.13 says that by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his Spirit. That because we have the Spirit, we know that he is in us and we are in him. And the Spirit of Christ that is in you is the Spirit of life. The Spirit of resurrection life. Look, we're going to continue to fight. We're going to continue to struggle against sin. And because of this sin, Paul says, the body is dead. That it's too late. That the body is going to die. Unless you're here when Jesus returns, there's only one place that our body is going to go. There's only one destiny for this body. So there's going to be a struggle because we still remain in our flesh. And he says it this way just a little earlier in Romans chapter 7. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's in, inside, in my spirit. I delight in the law of God. But I see in my members, that is my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So the struggle between his flesh and this desire, this delight in the law of God. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So again, this body is is doomed. It has a destiny. But he says this in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I then will serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So Paul has the desire to do what's right. He delights in the law of God, but because we still have this body, we still struggle, we still fight against sin. But the good news is this, that the very struggle that we have against sin is a testimony that we have the spirit of Christ in us. I would be much more worried if I didn't struggle against my sin, if I didn't fight against it, if I didn't battle with it, if I wasn't waging war, like Paul says, I would be much more concerned. But because I do, that is the testimony that we have the spirit of Christ in us. And that same spirit, that same spirit that gave resurrection life to Jesus gives resurrection life to us. Gives resurrection life to us. But here's what I want you to Think about when we're, when we're struggling, when we're fighting with sin, we're battling with it. It's not because you're not saved, right? I think Paul makes that very clear. It's not because you're not saved, but it's because we still live in this world where the law of sin and death is at work. The law of sin and death is still at work in this world. And like he says, we still have this body of sin. And here's what I want you to do. Here's something practical that I want you to walk away with. Right? When, you, when you struggle, when you're fighting, when you're battling against your sin, here's what you don't do. Don't listen to yourself. So what do you do when you listen to yourself? You condemn yourself. Right? And what does Paul say in Romans 8, verse 1? He says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't listen to yourself, but rather preach to yourself. Don't listen to yourself preach to yourself. Remind yourself that there is no condemnation for you, 
that you are adopted into God's family and therefore a child of God, that you have the same spirit in you that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And these are just the promises that are in Romans chapter eight. You have your entire Bible, enough promises for every single day of the year. So when you struggle with sin, don't listen to yourself, but rather preach to yourself. Do not condemn yourself, preach to yourself. And so here's how, we, how, how I'd like to, to close. I, I just want to say this. There's a particular word in verse 11. And the word is if. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit, his spirit who dwells in you, if. These promises, all of the blessings, the benefits that come along with this life in the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, the peace of mind, no shame, no guilt, true freedom, to walk out who we really are, these promises are only available to those whom the Spirit of God resides in. It says, if, if the Spirit of God is in you. So the worship team in just a moment, they're gonna come up, I'm gonna close out in prayer, but this is what I wanna say. You have an opportunity, if you are not in Christ, then you have an opportunity now to put away the old man an opportunity to put away our old desires, to live your life in a different way, to walk, to live in according to the spirit, to put on a mindset, a way of thinking, a way of looking at the world that leads to life, that leads to peace, an opportunity to not be led by, to be bound by those things that you feel like give you meaning and give you purpose, all the things that, the word says, are passing away. You can't find meaning, lasting, everlasting life or meaning in something that's not going to last forever. It can't truly provide you purpose or that feeling of enoughness. But rather, that is found when you're led by the Spirit. So that's my prayer. My prayer, like I said at the beginning, was that if you are a Christian, that you would be encouraged this morning. That's my prayer. That's my hope. I hope that you were encouraged this morning. I hope that you were reminded. It's so easy for us to forget sometimes what our life in the spirit is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to be characterized by, what it's supposed to be marked by. And so I hope you were reminded this morning of what's available to you in the spirit of Christ. And if you're not my prayer is that you would walk away from whatever those other ways of living are, that you'd put away that old man and step into a new and better life. Amen? Amen. All right, so our usher team is going to come forward. We're going to have communion. Communion is an opportunity for us as a family to remember, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're going we're to preach to ourselves this morning. We're not going to listen 
to ourselves. We're gonna preach to ourselves this morning and be reminded of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus as we partake in communion. So you can stand with us. Our worship team in just a moment is gonna lead us into again. I'm gonna pray over our communion. But this morning, my prayer again, if the old way of life, if it's losing its value, if it's, if it's losing what it used to provide you, there's another life, a better life that's available to you. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.